What an awesome morning it's been. I'm excited to hear the word of God this morning from my father, <laughs> from our wonderful Pastor Chris. Let's welcome him this morning. Uh, no, I think it was just me making whale noises, uh, for which I apologise. And I'm, I am going to apologise to start with. I know that you shouldn't apologise when you get up and, and speak to people, but I'm, f- I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball this morning. So if you were anticipating a quiet morning of slightly snoozing in your seat while I I preach the word of God and you can pretend that you didn't hear it so that you don't have to do anything about it, um, I'm going to do something slightly different. If you're a visitor here, uh, the things I do this morning, if you're coming from another church, you're quite willing to steal them and take them back um, because there's going to be some gems in this, let me tell you. Um, And and if you're new to the church, this will actually be a fast track for you uh, to find out what we're about. Because this morning I'm going to talk about culture. And I'm talking about the culture of the church. And one of the things that is important, I think, about church culture is how it's actually disseminated. Or how it gets spread. And most of that is by osmosis. Very rarely do you find people telling you why we do things in church. Most of it's this sort of mystery that probably the senior pastor dreamed up and nobody's had the heart to tell him that they don't like it or that it seems strange or odd or just the question of why do we do things that way? And it's actually, I'll tell you, there's actually a lot more thought that goes into it than you would believe. Pretty much every single thing we do on a Sunday morning has been planned and thought about and dissected. And it doesn't mean it always turns out right, but very little happens on a Sunday morning at random because I'm not allowed to do that. (laughs) If it was up to me, it would all be random. Um, But there there are lots of different things and so... Because it's the beginning of the year and we're doing our summer series and it's a little bit relaxed, I'd thought, I thought I'd take this opportunity to do a bit of training. Now, who, who, who knows that it's a good thing that our, our music team gets training? Who knows that it's good that our baristas have had training? <laughs> who thinks the congregation should be trained? Oh, okay. Well, some people do. That's good. So think of today as Congregation Training Day. Who's ever seen the movie Training Day? be nothing like that. And there are four areas that I I just want to cover to actually tell you and explain to you what our culture is in C3 Norwood and to help you actually get involved in that culture without actually having to guess about what's going on. And so the first thing I want to talk about is worship. Because worship, and and I swear, Georgia must be reading the same Bible as me. Because Psalm 100, verse 1, says, Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now, that sounds like worship to me. Now, I come from a Catholic background. And I can remember as a child going to church and all the hymns we sang were impossibly high. (laughs) 
and were really, really wordy. And everybody stood still and held a, a book with the words in front of them and nobody moved, nobody rocked, everybody just stood there. And there's nothing wrong with it. That's what people are used to, that's what happens in that style of worship. It was a, a country church, quite um, conservative. But in C3 Church Norwood, that is not our culture. Our culture is actually that we clap for the fast songs, and we raise our hands and we worship for the praise, the, the worship songs. Now, can I get the worship team out here? Everybody not who is just on this morning, everybody who is involved in either playing a musical instrument or singing. Now, can I quickly grab a microphone? Under the right. Now, can I just ask you what uh, industry you work in? Media. Design. Administration. Design. Media. Media. Film. Defence. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit there. But notice that not one of them is a professional musician. Um, how old are you, Georgia? 22. How old are you? 59. They're not all the same age. There's quite a spread. None of them are professional musicians, and yet they're pour, they pour... Thank you, guys. You can, you can sit down again. They pour their heart out every Sunday morning to bring us praise and worship. And... The, the interesting thing is that when we come into church, we tend to treat a church service in a consumeristic sort of way. We come along with the hope that praise and worship is going to be good enough so that we actually come into the presence of God and have a, a great time where we can experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in praise and worship. Is that right? That's actually wrong. Because it's not actually all up to the worship team. That's it. Yeah. No, no, we planned that exchange. <laughs> and so, I, I, I just want to give you a heads up that you are important in praise and worship in this church on a Sunday morning. Because, let me address the first thing. And Georgia gets up here this morning and she gets excited about praising and worshipping. I can see behind her eyes, sometimes there's this slight disappointment that there's only people in the first two rows. Because the service starts at 10 o'clock, but some people don't start the service until quite a bit later. Now, far be it from me to tell you how to run your lives, but I can tell you right now, you get a lot more enjoyment out of the first song if you're here. <laughs> and the other thing is that because the worship team are only human, they actually feed off the response of the congregation. If we're not enthusiastic, it's very hard for the worship team to be enthusiastic. And so we can actually improve our worship experience by being enthusiastic about it. Because if they see that we're enthusiastic, guess, guess what? They get more enthusiastic. In fact, I think it should be a competition. We should be able to out-sing and out-clap and out-raise our hands the worship team. We should be able to get so excited that they can't hear themselves. Okay, so that's a bad idea, isn't it? <laughs> no, nobody seems particularly keen on that one. But 
we, we actually have a part to play. It's very important for us to show the worship team that we're involved in worship. And you know what the best way of doing that is? To actually try and get up the front. It's, it's always in, intrigued me in church. When I first started coming to church, I noticed that all the important people occupied the front rows. And I often wondered why that was. And do you know what the only reason is? They get there early. <laughs> the, these rows are not sacrosanct. Well, to some degree. The reason that some of the, most of the people are in the front row is that they're involved in the service. That We've got our, our service leader here so that she doesn't have to come up in the back and do that. We've got people who are involved in notices. The music team, if it's, we don't want them going all the way down the back and then possibly afterwards when I get them up again, if I do, um, to have them walk around. So it's, th they tend to reserve seats up here because A, they're here early enough to reserve them and B, they actually need them. But there's nothing that says anybody else can't sneak in here early and put their bag on a seat and reserve it anywhere around here. Because do you know what? The anointing in praise and worship tapers. It, it's brilliant on the front row. It's pretty good on the second row. The third row is okay, but it tapers off really sharply from here. <laughs> hey, it's harder to hear. It's not as loud, which is why some people sit back here, I know. But it's, it's just that anointing fades. And because there aren't so many people sitting in the seats when it comes to praise time and you're going, oh, nobody else is lifting their hands, I'll just stand like this. Um, it's a bit daunting. So if, if you want to get into worship, cram into the first couple of rows. There's a spare seat there. You need to say, excuse me, is, is anybody taking that? Because I'm having that seat because I know that these two people are really excited. So if I raise my hands, nobody can see. Nobody can see me. Oh, I can go berserk. Nobody's seen. Because, <laughs> well, is that just me? When I first came to church, I, I hated it. I used to stand there. My, my worship was. <laughs> you know, I was a mover and a shaker. You know? I finally got to, you know, you lift your hands so that nobody can see because it's a below eye level. I think they call that carrying the TV. <laughs> I used to. Sometimes I'd go widescreen. But I was deathly afraid that people look at me and think I was stupid. <laughs> what I didn't understand was that people thought that anyway. <laughs> Don't worry about it. And so we need to get excited about our praise and worship because it helps the worship team. If there's a synergy that happens, guess what? The presence of God is much easier to sense. It's not that the presence of God is greater. God is here. But our, our ability to sense him actually relies on us letting something go, inhibitions. And, and also, the, I don't know whether you noticed today, there's that funny part of the song, often in the worship songs, where the, the guy or the girl leading worship goes berserk and says stuff that's not up on the screen. <laughs> and they may go off and state some things, and it's like, where are they going with this? What is this deal? I was enjoying seeing the words and singing along, and now they've gone off doing something different. We actually call that free worship. Not that the rest of it costs anything, but <laughs> what it means is you're actually free to express yourself. The whole idea is that the music level rises so that it's, it's a bit hard to hear yourself, and it's certainly harder to hear other people, but it gives you the opportunity to actually start praising God in your own way. You can lift your hands, you can start sort of praising God. Lord, I just thank you for your presence here this morning. I'm feeling so great. I just thank you that you're involved in my life. You can, 
You can sing it if you're musical. I don't, so I only say things because it sounds out of tune when I sing anyway, so I might as well just stick to saying it. Um, it's also, uh, the other thing is that you can, you can sing in tongues. We're a church that believes the manifestation of the Holy Spirit can be represented by the fact that we can speak in tongues. Now, it's not a rule. We don't have a tick box saying you cannot join this church if you do not speak in tongues. But I recommend it because it's a great way of being able to connect with the Holy Spirit in a way where we don't have to think a lot about it. We can connect spirit to spirit. And if you want to, and if you want to be able to speak in tongues and you don't, then I'll speak about that a bit, a bit later. But that, that's, that's the expression. For those of you who are extroverts, that's the time you can shine. For those of you who are introverts, that's the testing time to say, okay, can I break out here? Can I actually connect with God without actually worrying about what other people are thinking of me? But because it's so loud, nobody hears that. So it's really going to pump your fist a few times. Nobody saw that. That's good. Sure. Put your hands back in your pockets. But the idea is it, we're giving people opportunities to connect with God. That's what praise and worship is. It isn't about how good the band is. It isn't about the fancy backgrounds, the lighting. They're all there to actually just help us get in the mood. If we're focusing on, focusing on them, it means we're doing the wrong thing. If the background is too flashy, and sometimes I know they come close, then, and you're focusing on that and not praising God, we're not doing, doing the right thing. But we, we experiment. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong. It's not perfect. But... Worship is an interactive thing. It's not just up to us critiquing the worship team after the, after the service. Like, yeah, I didn't really feel the presence of God. They, they were a bit sort of lacklustre and none of the songs were my favourites and I just didn't really feel the presence of God. Get over yourself. <laughs> the worship is actually for God, not for you. We've actually come here to worship God. We haven't come here to entertain you. And we need the congregation which includes me, because they don't let me sing up here. Sometimes, you might have noticed this morning, I got up for five seconds and pretended. That was just my little, don't worry about that. So, we have a culture of worship which is vibrant, exciting and interactive. And we're actually going to do some practice at the end of the service. We're going to get the worship team up again and we're actually going to have a competition to see if we can worship louder than them and uh, make them forget the words. Actually, it's unlikely to happen. But The second thing I wanted to talk about, if my screen will stop going black, is prayer. Prayer is an important part of our church. We have two avenues for corporate prayer. One is during the service, and you might notice that we got a couple of people up here to pray for the needs of the church. Now, Again, as with worship, it's all too easy to get somebody up here and, and they will say, Look, I want you to pray with me. Uh, we're going to pray for the needs of the church. Lord, I thank you that there's going to be healing, financial provision. And, and all you have to do is stand there and say, yeah, amen, yep, I agree, sounds good, yep, right, good, ex excellent, amen. But we would prefer that God sees that we're a church that is in unity, that actually has a passion for speaking to him. And so what will happen is, that the person will come up here and say, come on, we're going to pray for the church's needs. And usually they drop the microphone, raise their hands, and they start to pray. That's the cue for every single person here to start praying with their own voice, loudly as possible, declaring the things of God, 
declaring that he is a prayer answering God, that we're expecting the best, that whatever prayer requests there are, whatever needs there are in the church, that God is going to meet them and we are firmly believing and standing on our faith that this is going to happen. Amen! Amen. And that needs to come from every single mouth, not necessarily in those words. Uh, again, if you, if you speak in tongues, you can pray in tongues. If you can't think of what, you, you don't know what people's prayer requests are, what they need, just start praying in tongues. Uh, and, but be enthusiastic. Because it's actually not about the right words. I, I, used to, I used to hate prayer meetings. I thought they were for the elite to start with um, because all the important people seemed to go. And I got invited to one. Because um, the only thing I did in church was um, we had a building fund and once a month they put out a little piece of paper which had, um, back in those days, very pixelated bitmaps in it of funny pictures and the total of how much we'd taken up that month. And so I was in charge of putting that out um, and I was invited to a prayer meeting, which I thought was a great... Who, why would they invite me to a prayer meeting? I, I'd been there six months or something and didn't do anything, and suddenly you know, the pastor himself invited me to this prayer meeting. So, A, I didn't feel I could refuse, because he'd asked me. At six o'clock in the morning at um, CBC in the city there, uh, and we're all in this room, and there's all these people I don't know, and of course, if you're in a room of people in a church that you don't know, get, what do you assume? They've all been there for years, don't you? You're the only one who's you know, only been in the church six months. You're the only one who doesn't know anything. And it's borne out by the fact that they all stand in the circle and then they just start praying. Each person prays and they're going around in a circle. I'm sitting th- here on the other side thinking, oh, good grief. What am I going to do when it gets to me? I don't know how to do this. And so when it got to me, I just prayed silently. Lord, make them pass by. <laughs> And they did, thank goodness. <laughs> um, but I realised that, that prayer is actually, again, about involvement. It took me a while to actually say anything in a prayer meeting, but I went along to them all because I realised it was important to be in a place to hear the heart of, heartbeat of the church because that's where you hear it in the prayer meetings. And so not only is it important that we get excited about prayer and join in prayer in the service... But it's important that we come to the Wednesday prayer meetings because we have them so often. It's once a month, people, <laughs> on a Wednesday night. And it's a, I'm going to be honest with you. Prayer is not sexy. Prayer is hard, hard work. I mean, for me, I come from a, a, a quite a, a non-Christian background, um, secular. When I first started coming to church... Uh, Vicky and I weren't attending church, hadn't attended church for 20 years or more and were not interested in joining a church. How we turned up in a church and joined, I, I really don't know. Um, it's just one of those things. But where was I going with that story? Prayer. No, no, I need more than that. <laughs> not sexy, that's right. Yeah, that's, sorry. <laughs> Get excited with my own stories that I forget what they're about. Um, and so... Prayer for me is not natural. It's taken me a long time to get into the habit of prayer because it wasn't something I grew up with. It wasn't something that I found easy to do. And so it's a, it's, it's a struggle for me to actually naturally pray. But I discovered if I attended prayer meetings, I got around people who prayed and I understood where their heart was, what they were trying to do, I could, I could be involved. So I went to several prayer meetings, didn't say a word. Finally, when I did, it was something like, Lord, bless the music team, amen. 
was short and sweet. Um, apparently, since I've developed a bad habit of not being short and sweet, but <laughs> not being short anyway. Um, and so, I just want to encourage you that involvement is the key. God is looking for a church of unity, not a church of perfect prayers. He's looking for a church of people who are looking and walking in the same direction, not a church of perfect people. Because if I joined, I'd spoil it. There is no church of perfect people. But get involved in prayer. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Don't worry about anything. See, that takes away most of your day jobs. Don't worry about anything. There are several people I'm talking to and looking at over here, very broadly, of course, when I say don't worry, because I think they enjoy it. But it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. See, personal prayer is important, but corporate prayer is what actually builds the church. So we, we have a culture where we encourage people. It's a question of turning up. You don't have to turn up and prepare to be eloquent. You need to turn up and bring an open heart. And if God speaks something into your heart in a prayer meeting, then speak it. But turn up. Be there. That's the secret. It's not sexy, but it's necessary. I mean, if you've ever seen the engine room on any ship, uh, train or boat, whatever has an engine room, they're messy places. Full of clanking engines and oil and coal and steam and stuff. Hot. But they're the driving force between the rest of it. And we need to be part of that driving force. So I encourage you to get involved in prayer. Connect groups. Um, we call them connect groups. Some people call them life groups, house groups, cell groups. They're small groups, basically. A small group is a group that is small. <laughs> and that might sound silly, but that's, that's all it is. It doesn't actually speak to the function of the group. We just have groups that are small. Because you can do different things in groups that are small than you can in groups that are big. And in this big group, for instance, only one person gets to speak. Moi. <laughs> At the moment, anyway. But in small groups, everybody gets to discuss often what I've said on Sundays. And it's also a, a way to get to know other people. It's a way to develop relationships. It's a way to develop spiritual gifts and skills that we can't develop in a Sunday service. When I first joined what was then Christian City Church Adelaide, every Sunday they would have an altar call for people who wanted to speak in tongues. And I was on that altar call every Sunday. And you've got a church of 60, 70 people and you've got people coming up the front and people are praying over you, praying that God will give you the gift of speaking in tongues. And they say, come on, come on, do it. And you're sitting there going, what do I do? Well, how, how does this work? Um, you know, are there any magic words you can say? You know, Harubbable was supposedly one of them. Um, and uh, all of these things. And it, it never worked. A, it's, it's really embarrassing. Now, for some people, that, that's fine. But I, I reckon I, I saw possibly one or two people in the whole time I was there actually get the gift of speaking in tongues on an older call in front of a huge number of people. The best way to do it is in connect groups. When you're in a small, you've got, you can got people who can explain it to you. You haven't got the pressure of huge numbers of people watching you thinking, yeah, yeah, we got it, you don't. 
Um, not that Christians would think that way. Um, but it enables you to, to practice and get involved in that. The same with prophecy. Prophecy is another um, manifestation of uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You want to practice in a small crowd. Because who knows, you can practice prophecy. I was horrified when I discovered that. We know in part, we prophesy in part. That means we actually need to do it on a, on a practical level to, so that we can actually know when God is speaking to us. First couple of times I did it, I was rubbish. But you can practice spiritual things. And that, to me, that's just, I mean, that, that was wrong. Surely God, I mean, I didn't think the uh, worship team practiced when I first went to church. I thought that the Spirit of God fell on them. They, they got to know which songs to sing all as a, a spiritual gift and they never practiced and it all just came together on the, on, the, on the morning. When I heard that they had rehearsals, I was mortified. I nearly left the church. But this is not a godly church at all. They practice this stuff. I, I was, okay, well, I was incredibly na naive, but it pays to, to know these things. And so connect groups are part of our culture to actually bring the person of Jesus Christ to be more real in an individual's life. And it's great to worship corporately in, on Sunday. It's great to talk after the service, have a coffee. But, you know, it's, you can't ask all the questions you'd want to ask on a Sunday service. And I, I haven't got all the answers. Sometimes the connect group leaders and people in the connect group won't have all the answers. But you can have fun looking for them. So we encourage people to get involved in connect groups. This year they're held every fortnight. We're not breaking for the holidays. So it's exactly every fortnight except for the times when that doesn't work in which case we've changed it. Um, but, it, you know, it's the exception that proves the rule. So, and, and this was exactly as they did in the early church. Acts chapter 2, verse 46, they worshipped together at the temple, each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And Acts 5, 42 um, reinforces that every day in the temple and from house to house they continue to teach and preach this message Jesus is the Messiah so we believe that small groups are a, a, a really important part of our church culture if you're a, a connect group leader can you please just stand in your seat so just look around the, these people lead our, our connect groups um, if you're not involved in one find one of the people that you think possibly looks the friendliest or puts on the best food um, uh, okay, we've got, a <laughs> we've got candidates for all of those, so feel free to do some interviews, and uh, thank you guys. And get involved in a, a connect group, because yeah, connect groups are, are really important in getting our church, not, just, not to grow, it's not really about growth, it's about health. Because, I mean, when I first joined a church, I thought... And, and I spoke in terms of me and them. The church to me was an entity, even within a congregation, that was sort of like a secret inner circle that made all the decisions and, and, and ran, ran the church, and I, I couldn't be involved. But it's not. The church is actually all of us. Now, we have a board which makes financial decisions. We have leadership teams which make leadership-style decisions. But... It's not an exclusive sort of basis. Some of the changes that are made 
I mean, for instance, have you noticed, if you've been here a while, that recently you haven't been able to get down the side of the rows? I've heard some people get quite frustrated because the aisle seems to have disappeared down the, down the sides. Anybody notice that? That didn't happen at random. That happened because we had an influx of people who have babies. And we have a prison for them up the back. <laughs> but we needed the room to put it. And people have those, those enormous things called prams that apparently these small humans sleep in. And they take up a lot of room. And we're thinking, how can we fit these people in? Because let me tell you, I, I love it when you've got babies, parents. You know, it's, it's about, I mean, if you, that's another reason not to sit in the back row. If you want to hear stuff, sit at the front and the babies can cry up the back. Because, uh, you know, that's just part of life. You get noises, distractions, um, and we're not going to get rid of those distractions because they're a sign of life in our church. So you need, if you want to get away from the distractions, you get here earlier, get up the front. It's not as distracting. Um, but to make that room, we decided we would have to make our, our rows wider, make more space at the back, and get rid of the aisle at the side. And so yeah, it wasn't just a random decision. You might have noticed we have a, a, a yellow chair at the back. Are you sitting in that this morning, Jane? Who, kn who knows we've got a yellow chair? Who knows what it's for? It's to escort people who don't know where the toilets are to the toilets. Now, why, you might ask, the toilets are just straight through there. But we can't have people wandering through the worship team to go to the toilet in the mornings. And so because of the location, we're not because we don't like people and we'd like them to hold on to it. During, but we have to go outside, round the, round the outside of the hall, round the back, in the back door to go to the toilets. And you might think, well, that's a bit mean. I agree. But it just happens to be a quirk of the location we've got at the moment. When we get our own building, guess what? We'll make it sure we don't have to go outside to get around to the toilets. Well, I think we can promise that. Or either that will be a covered walkway. You won't get wet much. Anyway, we'll do our best. Will you stop, stop sidetracking me? We're not talking about the toilets. Um, uh, a lot of the stuff, we, we do a lot of stuff, sometimes you'll find that the, the stage is different or that the, the equipment looks different or it's in a different place or whatever. Uh, we set up here on Saturday nights and have to pack down again straight after the service. Uh, and so a lot of the changes we make are to make it easier for people to be involved in that set up and pack down. Because there's a lot of complicated stuff here. I mean, I, I set up last night and I hope there wasn't too much extra work it wasn't okay, so it wasn't the best. Because you get these things and you don't know where to plug them in, and so you have to leave them. But you know, we're making it. I think I found where most of the plugs were. Yeah, because they're, they're pretty well labelled. Um, and so th these changes happen not at random because we feel like you know things need to look different, um, but because we're always trying to improve what we do, and we're always happy to answer. If you don't, if you, something's happens, you don't know why, ask. If you don't like the way something's been done, perhaps it's actually been done for a reason you don't know about. You might think, well, I like to get down the aisle there. It's harder for me to get out and get a coffee after the service because the more people that order coffee, I'm further down the list and I'm, I'd kill for a coffee at the end of the service. I need to get there quickly. And so you think, well, what, why, why have they been mean to me and cut off the aisle so I can't get a quick, quicker coffee? Well, that's actually not the reason we did it. But if you don't ask, you could develop quite a, a complex about the fact they hate me. It's, you know, them again, they, they hate me and they have blocked off my access to coffee after the service. I'm not coming back. 
Now, if you think that way, you can, no. <laughs> anyway, so that, all of those things are important and it's important to, to ask because it's also important to be involved because the more you're involved, the less you have to ask because you get involved in these things, you find out. The fourth thing and the final thing I want to talk about is salvation because I don't know whether you've noticed but every service we actually have a salvation old call where we give people the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Saviour. And sometimes, at least from my point of view, depending on the message that you've preached and depending on who's, who's in the church, I mean, some Sundays you look around and you think, it's the same old crowd. They don't need saving. Well, that's just my opinion. Let's not do it. But if you think about it, a relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important thing that can happen in a person's life to become, did I say that right? Good. I got confused halfway through, just went on autopilot for a bit there. Never know what's going to come out at the end when I do that. And so I feel it's important to offer that opportunity every Sunday. Because I don't know the condition of everybody's heart. There are people I know who have been in church for years who one day give their, their heart to Jesus Christ. You sort of think, oh, I thought you were a Christian. But you don't know. And it's important for every single one of us that we have that opportunity. Now, what we do in C3 Norwood is we ask people to think about making a decision to make Jesus Christ their Lord. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, it tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Now a lot of Christians and even some churches teach that that's it. Once you've done that, you've got a get out of hell free card. And you can just carry that for the rest of your life and that's it. But it's actually the start of a journey. Making a dis Believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Lord means changing your heart. Stating with your mouth that he is your Lord gets you saved because it's actually a declaration that you are promising from this moment forth to live with Jesus Christ as your Lord. Which means that you're actually giving him control. And if you read the Bible, when he has control, there are certain things he wants to happen. And so it's not a get out of hell free card. It's a get onto the path to heaven card. And you have to begin walking that path. It's not an instant fix of any sort. And it's also something, I, I, sometimes I can get a bit persuasive about it. Sometimes I can say, come on, I'll wait another five minutes, 10, 15. Not getting any coffee unless somebody puts their hand up. Um, <laughs> We never do that because I can convince you into the kingdom of God. Give me a chance and I can convince you into the kingdom of God. But if that happens, somebody else has the chance to convince you out of it. It's not about argument. It's not about rational thought. It's a heart decision. As a young Christian, I was prophesied over a lot by people, which made a lot of other people jealous. Because it just didn't matter what sort of meeting I went to, visiting 
evangelist, pastor, whatever, they, they'd pick me out of the crowd and say, you, got a word for you? And I'd be, this is great. They go, and they'd say, you think too much. And it's like, well, the last guy said that. What are they, are they on Skype together or something? Is there some sort of internet conspiracy against me? If you see this guy in the congregation, just tell him he thinks too much. People from overseas, interstate, people I'd never met, never heard of, would point me out in the congregation and say, you think too much. It's like, after a while, I sort of thought, perhaps I think too much. <laughs> perhaps I'm being too analytical about my relationship with Jesus Christ and I actually need to let go and start letting my, my heart be opened up to what God is doing because I was a fairly analytical person. I'd spent 20 years being a research scientist and analysis is a useful thing. And so I actually had to recognise that having Jesus as my Lord was not a rational decision. I mean, I think it is a rational decision, but it couldn't just stay as a rational decision. I had to actually open my heart and let Jesus do some work on me on the inside before I could truly understand what it was like to have a relationship with him. I mean, logically, it's a good idea for me to have a relationship with Vicky, which is my wife for a start. But even before that, I didn't think, yeah, she, she's a bit shorter than me, but that's okay. Um, blonde hair, I tended to go for brunettes, but I could put that aside. Um, <laughs> I didn't actually make a rational decision. In fact, the first time I clapped my eyes on her, um, or we saw each other, it was hate at first sight. Um, we were only 10 at the time, but um, we did not get on until I discovered that she could ride a motorbike, shoot a rifle as, as well, if not better than I could, and was interested in, in all of those outdoorsy things. We got on like a house on fire. But it wasn't, I didn't sit there and tick, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, ride a motorbike. Well, yeah, tick that. It's like, when, when we finally, we fell in love. It was like all the hormones just, I didn't think about it. There was no thinking involved. My parents were very concerned. There was no thinking involved. Her parents were very concerned. And they were concerned for a very long time. <laughs> and it's the same with Jesus. It's not a question of, yeah, well, yeah, it's a, it'll be a good day. Good idea today to actually give my life to Christ because, yeah, I've weighed it up and it seems to work. We've, we've actually got to have an understanding that we are stepping into something which is going to change our life. And we have to make that decision. And the fact that we have to speak it out, what, we'll, what we ask people to do, we ask people to close their eyes. In fact, I'm going to do it right now. So close your eyes. And we say, if you've come to that decision that you want to open your heart to have Jesus Christ as your Lord, you want to actually say, well, I'm going to follow what Jesus says. While nobody's looking around, I want to invite you right now to put your hand up. Is there anybody here this morning who has made that decision that they feel in their heart that they want to follow Jesus Christ. While well, nobody's looking around, put your hand up so I can see it, I'll acknowledge it, and you can put it right down. Now you can open your eyes because there is nobody who's done that. But if there was, say, let's, say Ashley did. So Ashley put her hand up. Nobody saw that and I asked her to put it down. And you sort of think, why, why do you do that privately? It's because it's actually hard to make that decision and you don't want to do it while people are looking but then what I would ask people to do is stand so let's all stand and then I would say Ashley I would like you to come out the front here in front of everybody 
you sort of think, well, hang on, you've just done this in secret and now you're getting them out the front to embarrass them. The decision we make in our heart is a personal one. When we speak with our mouth to declare Jesus Christ as our Lord, it's a public declaration and something we shouldn't hide, something we should declare, even if just to the church. So I would get Ashley to come on, out the front. And the thing is, if, you've, if a friend's brought you, brought a friend, you, you, they can come with you. And you don't have to face, a lot of people come out and then they face the congregation. I'm thinking, what, what is wrong with you? That's the worst. How scary is that? No, you can just face me. I know I'm scary, but not that scary. Um, and we would pray a prayer, and I would get everybody to pray this prayer so that they don't feel alone. That basically says, I accept Jesus Christ. Thank you, you guys can sit down. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I reject my old life. I reject the ways of the world and the ways of the devil. I declare I am born again today as a child of Christ, and I will follow him the rest of my days. And that, is, I mean, varies depending on what I'm thinking in the morning. Um, but that's the gist of, of what we do. And that is then followed up by somebody who would give you a Bible, uh, talk to you about what the next steps are, um, to get you involved in learning more about the decision that you've made. And you can sit again, that's all right. And we would continue from there. Now, because I believe that to grow a church, you don't grow it by getting Christians into your church who are unhappy with their church, or although we're happy to receive those people, or people who have moved from interstate here, although we're very happy to receive those people as well. But the essence that Jesus wanted his church to be was a place where people who didn't know him could come, get a revelation about a life with Jesus Christ, and accept him as their Lord and become a part of his body, the church. And we believe that that's so important that we just do not want to give, have a Sunday service where we do not give that opportunity. So if you find it tedious and you find it boring, get over it. We're not going to stop. It's important for us to do. And it's also important that as a congregation, we support the people that do that. We need to congratulate people. We need to get excited about the fact that people that do that, that do that. Don't sort of think, oh, they're possibly embarrassed. I won't talk to them. Congratulate them. Help them out. Invite them out for dinner. I mean, not all at once, but it's, it's important to welcome people into church. The biggest problem we have as a church is that we've become, in the world, a consumer society. And the people come to church and we act like consumers. We think that we're owed something. We sit there and think, feed me, feed me. Even I've read a lot of blogs lately that talk about the fact that churches have this embarrassing time in the middle of them where they often get up and say, okay, uh, in the next five or ten minutes, just wander around and speak to the new people. And if you're a new person in the church, that's sort of like, oh, good grief, you know, 60 people are going to descend on me and want to know my personal details. And I can understand that. Now, in our church, you might have noticed we, we take one minute and we say, just speak to somebody you haven't seen spoken to this morning which of course would involve some people who are new visitors. But the essence of church, the essence of our society is communication between people. It is possibly slightly embarrassing to some people. It is perhaps a little confronting sometimes when you're in a place that you haven't been to before and suddenly you realise that somebody's going to talk to you. Now, what you've got to ask yourself, is it better that people just ignored me? In which case probably not wanting to be part of a community or could I put up with the fact that somebody might, might say hello if only for 60 seconds 
because we've become so so consumer oriented that we're actually looking at how our congr- how the people sitting in those in our, our seats view what we do rather than seeing how people in those our seats can be involved in what we do if we've got a consumer mentality we'd say well let's cut that out because that embarrasses the consumer but we're not going to get rid of it because it actually binds together the body of Christ it's not always about customer satisfaction because we're not customers it's not always about viewer pleasure because we're not viewers it's actually about knitting together a community of believers and you can actually only do that face to face you can be on Facebook you can look at the church Facebook page you can look at the website you can get on the blogs you can uh, tweet each other you can do all of those things but until you actually get face to face you're not making a community and it's important to do that now, just to finish off, we're actually going to do some practical congregational training. So can I get the worship team up here?